In this episode, I chat with Naval Saini. Naval is a managing director in Brookfield's Renewable Power Group. In this role, he is responsible for building and managing Brookfield's business in India and assists the infrastructure team in executing large-scale transactions. I got a 1-hour private masterclass on how Naval takes investment decisions worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He spoke about the role of luck and serendipity in his career arc and how he accounts for biases in decision making. Naval also told me why he thinks he is a much better senior leader as compared to the associate who had just started his career. If you are looking to build a career in investment, there are many useful lessons for you. And one more thing. Naval also explains in very novice friendly terms what his company Brookfield, a global leader in alternative asset management, really does. I hope you find this conversation as insightful as I did. Hey, hi Naval, welcome to Career Checkpoint. Hi Harish, good to see you. Yeah, good to see Maybe you. Here. Yes. <laughs> So, so like, uh, you know, I've been telling people, uh, you know, career checkpoint started as uh, a, a means for me to catch up with people. But uh, over the last few episodes, this has become like a, a, a personal masterclass, you know, session for me with uh, all you guys, where I get some heavy duty gyan on what you guys are doing. So, uh, you know, let, let me start with, uh, you know, with the, with the first question, just to, if you can just tell me about uh, your personal journey since 2004. What roles did you take up and, you know, why did you make the, the, the switches you made? Okay. Uh, well, 2004, I just realized it's, we're getting old, man. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, uh, what did I do? So, I stumbled into finance, courtesy of Laha, helping me with the interviews. <laughs> that was my level of finance knowledge while, while in campus. So, and I joined SBI Capital Markets. Uh, right. Along with, I think there were four of us, uh, Arjo, uh, my uncle, uncle and myself. Um, uh, again, had no clue what the hell I was doing there, but it was a great learning ground because I still remember the day one that I joined, I was given a, a, a check of some five lakh, which some, uh, you know, uh, client had given as an advance fee and, and I was told, you know, it's your problem now, now figure it out. I was like, what the hell do I figure out? <laughs> so, uh, but it was a great learning ground uh, uh, and that's where I learned at least the basics of, uh, of what finance is. Um, as with everyone at CAPS, within a year or two, you st- the money starts pinching. So I went to uh, uh, what at that time I considered uh, as a great MNC bank, which was ABN, ABN AMRO did uh, corporate banking then realized pe is a new buzzword buzzword uh, and uh, joined a private equity firm in delhi was getting a chance to go back home um, uh, worked there for four years in, in in a firm called jacob ballast which was new york life's private equity arm um, then uh, uh, after four years there realized if i stay here for another four i you know i'll vegetate uh, 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 this whole, uh, then JP Morgan happened and they, they had an Asian infrastructure fund. So I decided to, uh, not decided to, but uh, fate led me to specialize a little bit in infrastructure. So joined JP Morgan in India, worked for six years and uh, as luck would have it, uh, worked a lot on what now is the hot sector, but at that time was, you know, one of the many sectors people looked at, which was renewable energy. Uh, did a six year stint with them, helped, uh, you know, build a, 
renewable business along with our partners. Uh, that experience was, was phenomenal. And that's when the Brookfield sort of opportunity came and, and there was a chance to uh, uh, effectively, you know, get into a leadership role at what I felt was the right time in my career um, uh, and, and essentially build out the renewable business for Brookfield in India. And that's what I've been doing last three years. Um, so, yeah, that's a longish or quickish snapshot depending on your own sort of timing. <laughs> right. So, you know, you a couple of times you mentioned you landed up somewhere uh, as luck would have it. So, uh, was everything serendipitous or, you know, what part of it was planned and, and deliberate? Yes. So, I, I could, uh, you know, um, I could say, oh, yeah, I planned a lot of these things, but frankly, you know, I don't think you can plan. Uh, opportunities come uh, and you're at that decision point, uh, you know, uh, when these opportunities come, right, you know, should you take it uh, or not? And everything has a pro and con. And I kind of, uh, I did stumble my way into finance, I must admit. Uh, I, I, I can't admit that I was a great finance student on campus. Uh, SBI Cath happened, like I mentioned, Laha, uh, our, our batchmate Vivek Laha, he trained me well for the interview. And somehow the only three questions he trained me for was the question that were asked. <laughs> so I nailed it. Uh, I had still no clue what the hell they had asked me. Um, so, so that was pure luck. Um, I think uh, uh, my move into Jacob Ballas also was was actually at that time, if you think about it from a whatever, 26, 25, 26 year old guy, um, you know, uh, looking at a career option in, in from a global MNC bank to a small time fund sitting somewhere in a hotel in, in New Delhi. You know, at that time, it was a bit uh, daunting, to say the least. Uh, but, you know, I, I kind of sort of just said, screw it, let's let's just go with it. And let, worst case, we'll come back to a big MNC bank two years later. So a lot of my decisions were, uh, you know, um, I, I went against the grain uh, uh, a little bit. Uh, even JP Morgan uh, people said that you know uh, you're going from a general private equity business because now in three four years time PE had become a buzzword and you know you're going into a very specialized field you don't know the eye of infrastructure and I kind of said listen I'll I'll figure it out uh, you know it was just the, it seemed the right thing to do with it so everything was you know every decision uh, that happened uh, or the opportunity that came um, uh, it it kind of uh, you know, things come across your path and, and it's very easy to say no to them. Uh, but, you know, I just said yes to some things which were a bit unconventional or a bit difficult at that time. And it seems to have worked out. Uh, so I've, I've now gone and super specialized uh, into a sector, into a specific sector, which is renewable. Um, and that's all. Uh, it's by chance. You know, you general PE, you get into infrastructure. Then within that, now you're doing renewables. Uh, but it's all worked out well. Uh, so I I do I wouldn't say I planned it all. I just took up opportunities against the grain uh, uh, when when they came my way. Right, right. So do you recall any opportunities that came your way and you did not? And if yes, then what would have been the reasons for that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I wouldn't say too many, but yeah, uh, uh, but yeah, a couple of them came then. I still remember when I was choosing between AB and AMRO uh, and uh, there was a particular investment bank, uh, which I won't name, which which wanted to hire me. And and 
I didn't join them because I just didn't like the guy who interviewed me. So it wasn't because the bank was bad or uh, or, or anything. But the guy just was uh, well. I mean, in I don't know if you can edit this, but he was a bit of a prick. So <laughs> I was like, if I have to work with this guy versus with working with guy uh, with with someone uh, you know who seems uh, like a nice boss and. I found that the guy that you work with is probably one of the most important criteria uh, when choosing a job. Uh, you know, uh, at times even more important than the job content itself, True. because a lot of the content you can create with your own initiative. But if you work with a guy who you just are not comfortable with, um, uh, you you can be in a soup. So yeah, so I have let uh, certain opportunities go, but the reasons were not necessarily the institutions themselves, but more people driven. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and and also the domains that you ended up, uh, you know, working in. Was there any anybody who was actually guiding you that yeah, this is something renewables is you know probably one area that you should get into, or was it your calling? How, how did that happen? Look, like a lot of it is luck, right? And 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 some of it is you know, um, you just taking the uh, you just seeing an opportunity and just taking it by by both hands. So. Um, renewable just happened to me because uh, you know in Jacob Ballas uh, or my first sort of PE job I uh, I helped fund a hydro plant uh, and that was my first stint and again as a very junior guy all of it is about excel sheets and you don't really understand the business but I really got to understand how business is built when I was with JP Morgan and while I did a number of uh, did two or three large investments with JP Morgan, but I spent a large part of my time with the renewable business of ours, which I helped uh, you know grow, um, um, uh, or a part of the team that that helped grow it. So it just so happened that renewables is the buzzword. I mean, I'd actually invested in the thermal power plant as well at that time. But uh, so you 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 had I had both the opportunities. It's just that one as a sector has blown up to something very large now, and the other one sort of phasing down. So. Uh, I had exposure to a lot more than renewables. It's just that uh, uh, as I built that expertise in renewables, it just start the market valued it a lot more than my expertise in other things. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, Navar, because uh, you know a lot of times people don't uh, understand or acknowledge the role of luck or serendipity in their uh, you know careers. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of post facto, uh, you know, rationalization and storytelling that you do for to yourself, <laughs> saying this is why I, I did this. But it is not often uh, so. So it's, it's great yeah. to you know, great great to actually hear this uh, uh, from you. Uh, a very candid uh, <laughs> observation. Yeah. No, there is a there's a saying that I that I really like. Uh, it's uh, uh, essentially. We sh- human beings shouldn't take themselves too seriously. At the end of the day, you're just a monkey with a plan. Correct. <laughs> or a monkey with a supposed plan. So, yeah. so you shouldn't, uh, yeah. So you should acknowledge the role of luck, I think. Uh, and obviously, you, there's a little bit of uh, grabbing the opportunity by both hands and that comes in. But luck plays a very big role. Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. So when you when you reflect back on you know say the last seventeen years of of your career, what do you think you've learned about yourself that probably you didn't know back in two thousand four? Yeah, I, I think uh, uh, once. Uh, how do I answer that? What have I learned about myself? Uh, I realize uh, I am a better. Uh, 
uh, VP or, or or MD, then I was an associate, and and, I, and essentially I was I was an average Excel sheet guy, but I was always better with people. Right. Uh, uh, and right and at the junior level you know you don't get that level of interaction with you know people uh, you need to learn the so i was i would say an average associate mm-hmm. i was a better vp uh, and and a slightly better sort of senior vp and and whatever md uh, i i realized that my strength is people as much as um, uh, and w- what does that really mean that really i think on two counts one is internal in terms of uh, being able to build teams or work with people or, or get the best out of yourself and and your colleagues uh, i uh, i think i realized that that's a strength i do have uh, and i didn't know that uh, starting up mm-hmm. um, i was always uh, the more reserved uh, person in the room i still am but i i'm able to uh, you know uh, i'm able to sort of get work uh, done from my, from 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 colleagues in a way that actually uh, you know works for as an institution and on the other end you know at least i'd like to think uh, the feedback that, that i get from the external world is that uh, you know they would like to work uh, with one is the firm that i'm a part of and with me specifically so i think that's got to again do with people and your ability to connect and your ability to understand what the other side wants and and be able to deliver on that and at the same time uh, get what you want for your firm uh, and for yourself so uh, that's a skill set i i realize i i, I possess uh slightly better than some you know maybe uh, uh others uh, and and that's what i think has helped me grow in my career because what happens is uh, beyond a point uh, it's not your excel sheet or your ability to make presentations which uh, which gets you uh, your, the, the next role or, or the leadership role it's your ability to manage people and your ability to lead people uh but having a core uh, you know uh, which is based on substance you know right. it's not fair for gd <laughs> or whatever mm-hmm. we used to call it but uh, if i'm a renewable guy i should be able to talk about renewable but at the at the same time to get a deal done it's not just knowing how solar works or how wind works it's about knowing how people work and and what's their motivating factor to do a deal my business is about transactions uh, uh, as much as it's about managing assets so so i'd say uh, yeah my evolution of being a better people person i think uh, uh, uh is is something that i realized uh, is, is has helped me in my career right so now that that brings me to two questions um, one is how do you stay on top of whatever you know domain that you are working in right i mean yeah. there are trends and you know what's happening worldwide something that can be applied uh, you know in india Uh, so that's that's one part which is about the core that you're talking about and for the second part about handling people you know do you have any personal go to you know hacks uh, you know that that you have that you know that you know these will help uh, connecting better with you know with with the people that you're working so both mm-hmm. questions so maybe i can take the second one first mm-hmm. so look there are no um, hacks per se but what i have realized is if you're a good listener um you can work with uh, uh, with people well because a lot of the times we're talking with each other but we're not really listening uh your mind is actually working on already then you know he the, you picked up the first few words and it's already running into conclusions and and further conclusions or something but but listening with apt attention i think at times uh is 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 very very important and because what you're really looking for is to understand what does the other guy's motivation 
who's sitting across the table. You know, it could be a colleague, it could be a client, it could be a customer. You know, it could be the, the promoter of the deal of the company that you're looking to buy. But if you listen intently, what you're really looking for are re reasons why, what's motivating the other guy to sell the business to you, or what's motivating uh, your colleague not to do something or not work with you, or whatever it is. So I find that uh, if you just listen. Um, and you repeat it back to the to the person that this is what I've understood what you've said is it right or wrong? It's a great way to just sort of uh, one, you know, it acts as a great bridge because then the other guy also acknowledges that you actually listened to him and understood right. the problem. And you use that as a platform to say, okay, I understand this now. This is what you want. This is what I need. Now, now can we can we make things work? So uh, I know it's a bit general, but I find that once you know what's exactly what the other person's uh, motivations are or what, why is he saying what he's saying, it allows you to think then as to how to address that and, and get what you want as well. So that I would say is something uh, that I have learned well, that I, that I try to do rather not learn, but I've tried to do. Um, and I think your first question was on... Uh, um, How do you stay on top of the trends? Yeah. That so look, everyone has their own way. Uh, uh, I am not a great reader, uh, or you know, when, if I want to read something, I want to read something which is actually beyond work, so that you know, how much can I read about solar and wind and uh, and, and hydro? I I try and stay on top by talking to as many people as possible, different stakeholders, uh, uh, and I look to learn. I'm always in learning mode. Um, because even my colleagues, uh, junior colleagues will, will teach me quite a bit more because they, I know they're reading more than me. So I frankly piggyback off the, uh, uh, the knowledge of all the people that are around me and I try and then connect the dots. For me, uh, I spend a lot of time on my phone or uh, on, uh, on, on Zoom calls or, or meetings. Uh, I find like if I want to learn about financing or debt financing, what better way to do it than just pick up the phone and talk to three or four friends who are in this uh, in this space or if you want to learn about what's happening on solar module prices pick up the phone talk to our china office and see who they're in touch with it so you get more for, so i for me that first hand knowledge is very important um, and at the end of the day you know i'm at a place now where i have to take decisions so mm. i can't go and i i don't need to do a phd i need to have the right data points uh, and I need to understand the probability of my decision and then and then take a decision and move on. And uh, so for that, uh, I find it better uh, to communicate with with people. Others, you know, there are others who within our own team that I see who, who actually struggle with talking to others, but are brilliant at reading and, and figuring things out uh, just by research. Mm. Uh, I piggyback uh, off, off that. Uh, and I'm sure they learn off me because I get actual market sort of information from talking mm -hmm. to people. So that's my preferred way of it. Right, right. That's 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 fantastic. I mean, on on the first point, I think that building common ground is you know really great in you know establishing that bridge, like you said, with uh, people. Uh, you know, you you both know even whether you're you know in a very cordial discussion or an argument <laughs> or a disagreement, building that common ground, I think, is is a great way of uh, you know starting it off. That yes, there is some part that we both agree on, and now let's take it from here, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nice. So, you know, one, one question that came to mind, Naval, is um, you're taking these decisions, you know, you're taking this investment, uh, you know, decisions, right? Now, there are two, two parts that I see here. One is Naval, uh, the individual, and the other is your, you know, your employer. 
your employer has a you know a definite style of decision taking um so over the years having worked in different companies all of that is has now become part of uh, you know novel at brookfield right uh, so how you know have you thought of you know the kind of influences that these different organizations have had and you know about decision making per se how has that evolved what has influenced you yeah so look i would say um uh the two jobs which have influenced my decision making the most uh, and i and i since your question is about jobs so you know I, i'm i'm going to try and answer it um, on on the professional front uh, one is jp morgan where i spent 6 years the other is brookfield where i am now and jp morgan uh, essentially we were building a business ground up it was a renewable business where we were buying smaller smaller assets and aggregating them into a large platform so i was involved in the entire decision making of okay what are we buying what's the right value how can we improve the value and so it was more operate operational uh, let's say asset management kind of a, a decision making uh, versus uh, yes i i the decision to invest in something also there but they those were being taken by you know people the partners at that time i wasn't that senior in this but as a vp uh once those decisions were made to grow that platform then sort of came to 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 my uh, to my table and and there i learned quite a bit because uh there the decision making was around um it's a go no go on a particular investment and and you know putting the right framework in place so i remember when before this i came in we were working with the, the indian promoters and it was more rule of thumbs that they were doing and i said listen your rule of thumbs are fine but it's got to be more structured so you know we actually made a i made a very simplistic model because i wasn't very great at modeling but a very simplistic model which i said okay here are the five so, so i think that what are the key value drivers you know i know this sounds theoretical but in any business there are three or four things which if you have a pulse on you know whether it's a good investment or not so in yeah. our business how how much will it generate how do you verify that it will actually generate that much you know uh, what are your key cost items and, and what's the financing uh, uh, or, or how much debt are you loading onto it and what's the, mm-hmm. if you, if you actually and you, if you actually uh, did those four or five variables if you had control on capital cost um, you know revenue line the key operating cost which is onm or whatever and and your funding you could actually make a decision very very quickly so um, putting that in place uh, learning from what the mistakes that i was doing by by you know it's 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 an iterative process so that i think was phenomenal because what was at times subjective you you tried to make it an objective criteria and there will always be a subjectivity hmm. uh, but at least you 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 got the numbers in place and then it was about okay fine getting this asset here uh, yes we're getting at a lower return at least we know now what that return is but it gives us a strategic advantage because you know we will get three more assets around it and we'll get that advantage so i think that um uh, uh, that training of the mind to look at value levers uh, or the key decision making point criteria and just putting it down in an objective manner that that's what i learned in in jp morgan and that was my training ground that's uh, that that's really that helped uh in brookfield uh, i i think it's just been a completely uh, you know all of that learning was great it was foundation but here it just moves now at at a completely different level because now you're looking at hundreds of millions of dollars to deploy uh and and the decision making yes it's the numbers uh, 
but it's it's about strategic business direction as well like should i be investing in this 100 megawatt here or let that go but look at an opportunity which is say 50 megawatt but the potential uh, because you're getting a partner who you really like who can actually then help you grow this to 500 or 1000 megawatt so the the decision making here is more strategic uh, and actually therefore uh, the job is therefore a bit more has more pressure on that because if you get it wrong uh, you know, they, there's a lot more money at work here. I mean, I was doing, I mean, that whole uh, uh, renewables investment in JP Morgan was uh, about 120 odd million dollars, I remember at that time. Um, I've already in three years here deployed five, six hundred million dollars, right? Uh, so the scale at which you're operating is very different. And I think the biggest, uh, 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 I guess, learning for me in uh, here has been, we always talk theoretically that decision-making is about probabilities. Mm -hmm. We've actually put it into action here. Like I've seen it in action in Brookfield more so than in, 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 in JP Morgan. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is that, you know, you don't just invest basis one number. Like, mm -hmm. you know, what you, put, you, you look at a range of outcomes and then you, you ask yourself, are you comfortable with this range of outcomes? And, and why that's important is because that's how a business is built. A business right. is not just one 10% return or 15% return which is what, say, I was doing previously. It's about, okay, if I do, yes, I'm paying a premium. If I just do nothing, I get an X return. But I have got an operating business. I've got 70 people working for me. If they're able to deliver on these three uh, key value drivers, they're able to improve those. I can make that, whatever, 10 go to 12, maybe 15. And if I do this on top, I can make it go 80 to 80. So I'm I'm throwing numbers here, but you're looking at the range of outcomes that you can, yeah, I can live with this. So if I do nothing, I make 10. If I'm able to do 50% of what I'm saying, it'll go to, you know, X number. And if I hit it out of the pocket, it goes to Y. So you're that training the mind to look at a range of outcomes, hmm. being creative to create those range of outcomes, because it's not Excel sheet. Right. It's done on an Excel sheet, but you're sitting across the table from your operating CEO and saying, I'm going to put this, can you get me this? And he has to thumb the table and say yes and yes, and then you sort of put it in. So mm -hmm. the real world and Excel sheet come together mm -hmm. uh, to give you this range of outcomes. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, and, and that's really powerful. And that's how you can actually do really large deals uh, and really differentiated deals because what looks like a very expensive deal through your operating, financial, other capabilities, people capabilities, you can actually make it worthwhile because of all the other things you overlay on top. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, and get to the right outcome. So uh, I don't know if I've answered your question, but from looking at numbers in absolute terms uh, and taking decisions to looking at them from a probability perspective and a range perspective, that I think uh, is a training that, uh, uh, or the learning that I still am getting at Brookfield, which I think is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, it, it is phenomenal. I think you know the, the difference between trying to forecast something versus uh, scenario planning, right? There are you know you don't plan for a future, but you actually plan for multiple futures. I think yeah. that's that's what I'm uh, hearing. So uh, a subplot to that is how do you you know sort of identify and overcome biases in this? Because it's very easy to fall prey to your own you know you know false confidence and in fact in your case you're, you're sitting with an operating ceo you also have to account for that ceo's uh, bias right uh, how, how do you factor that in into these kind of decision making models so look it's it's a good question uh, somehow uh, so, uh, i would say in a few ways one i think you can never get rid of bias you yeah. need to have a bias to take a decision i mean if you didn't have 
uh, a bias, you know, you would you would always be a bit uncertain. Hmm. Um, but having said that, you know, what you need to do is, or at least what I try and do is, uh, it again comes back to the same point. Right? You uh, don't take your own views too seriously. Just hmm. be very, very open to ideas uh, and other people's views. Uh, but at some point, you know, uh, weigh the pros and cons, look at the range of outcomes and say, fine, like, and again, it just comes out to that scenario building, right? That I know my operating CEO is super conservative. So I said, fine, give me your set of this. He, I know, will come to the lower end of the range. So he sets my floor, let's call mm-hmm. it. And then I'll talk to other people and, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll get a range of outcomes, uh, you know, and I know that I have a certain bias, which is pro- you know, I'm a bit more aggressive. That's my own nature uh, when it looks when I'm looking at these deals. So, but what happens is that you've not ignored um, the, the conservatism because you have to respect the other guy. He's got 10 years more experience than me, the operating CEO, for example. Uh, he's coming from a position not of not wanting to do the deal, but in his way, he's protecting the firm's interest by making you aware of those, uh, those uh, uh, let's call it conservative scenarios, right? But in a scenario building, that that kind of takes care of itself because uh, it's how much weightage do you give to his view versus how much weightage you give to the other person's view. And look, and the whole idea, if his view is right 100%, then what's my lower range uh, of, uh, of of my sort of returns or, or outcomes? And if that is binary, if that means that you lose capital, then you will deep dive into it further and see, is it really true? You'll test that his hypothesis. So I think you're always testing hypothesis. You're always correcting yourself you're you're never you've not you've got your head in the sand or your head above the clouds to say that someone can't give you a view that uh, you know uh, uh, that uh, isn't right or 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 that you shouldn't value but at the end of it all once all of this is done so we have multiple stakeholders we listen to everyone at the end of it you know then then decision makers then come together and they say okay we've looked at all of this here is the range of outcome now. Can we live with this or not? Can we structure our way out of it? Can we protect the downside? Uh, we may have to give a little bit of the upside for that. Uh, so it, again, you you protect against bias by keeping an open mind, uh, by not uh, uh, taking a decision in a rush, uh, uh, by respecting everyone's views, but at the end of the day, converting those views into a range of outcomes and then eventually taking a view on those range of outcomes. And saying, yeah, this is something I can live with. I'm building a business. I can live with that downside. I can, uh, in, in return for that, I'm going to get this upside, uh, which I live with. As long as the downside is not capital loss, <laughs> you know, we'll consider it. Right, right. I, and I think you know the the one word that you didn't use, but uh, it it you know like stood out for me was humility. Right. Uh, you need to be humble enough to know that everything is up for uh, you know review all the time. Yeah, I mean, you have. To, I mean, if, I think your biggest mistake is uh, uh, if you think that you know it all, mm-hmm. uh, and you're, uh, and at the same time, you know, what happens is the human mind uh, is conditioned towards conservatism. Uh, uh, you know, you always the doomsday guy always seems right for some reason. Right. Uh, so being so awareness is as important as humility aware awareness of not just the view but who is giving that view is very very important um uh, and so if a, if a guy who i know is traditionally very aggressive and he's giving a very pessimistic view i actually then deep dive into that a bit more 
Correct. Uh, versus something that he's giving, which is true to his nature. So, Correct. And again, we work in small teams, so we we kind of get a pulse of each other uh, fairly quickly. Hmm. So awareness along with humility, uh, and not taking your view too seriously, to be honest, uh, right. uh, is very very important. Um, hmm. uh, it is high stakes business. It's a lot of money, and it's not your money. Correct. Uh, at the end of the day, you have fiduciary responsibility towards all those thousands of investors who've given you this money. Um, uh, and they've given you the responsibility of deploying this capital for, for you. Uh, so you can't uh, let that be marred by your own uh, strong biases. You need to make sure uh, um, that you're taking everyone's uh, view. But at the end of the day, a lot of the calls we do take are contrarian. Uh, Correct. Uh, so that requires you to at some point take a decision. Uh, so it's a bit of both. It's a bit of uh, knowing uh, or taking everyone's view. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, turning those views into decision points uh, with a range of outcomes. Right, right. Yeah, this is this is really great, Naval, because I've, um, you know, read a lot about all these people like you know, Ray Dalio and, you know, how they try to overcome bias with radical candor and all. I'm actually, you know, hearing uh, actual anecdotes of how, how you do it. So this is, this is great. This is, you know, a, a peek into your world for me. Yeah, it's, uh, and we're still learning, by the way. We, we, we still get it wrong, but I think, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a process. It's a right. process that you have to go through. And I think, uh, to be honest, all credit to Brookfield, and I'm not trying to help Brookfield. I think we have a very Warren Buffet value investing mindset, hmm. a very hmm. way of thinking as well. Hmm. So we have no issues uh, taking on risk, uh, operating financial regulatory, as long as we understand the risk. What we don't take is risk we don't understand. So right. we are, I think what we are good at is putting our hands up and saying with all humility, look, we don't understand it. So this is not for us. Uh, maybe someone else does and good luck to them. But things we understand there, we will take risk. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 and that's years and years of training. It's a global business. We've done this all over the world. Um, and we have teams on the ground in India who who are, our, I'd say, our people are a source of strength or our risk taking comes from the type of people we hire on the operating businesses in India who who allows us who allow us to take these calls right right yeah, yeah. so in, in your space never how do deals happen i mean do they come to you do you go fish for something and say okay this is something that i, I need to get into how does that work so so look uh, not because of me uh, but because of the brand that i am a part of deals walk through the door uh, mm. that happens very rarely do the deals that walk through the deal actually fructify Hmm. Because if it's come to my door, it's gone to 10 other doors. Correct. As well. right. So what's the angle? Hmm. So what we end up doing or uh, consummating are those deals where there's a bit of creativity that either we create those deals hmm. or even when they walk through the door and, uh, and we have a lot of investment banking friends to bring deals to us, we are able to create an angle for ourselves. Hmm. Hmm. So we are always looking for that angle. So when it's a deal that's come to the, through the door, which is being marketed to everyone, if I don't have an angle, now where is that angle? Either it's scale, a lot of dollars, so not everyone can deploy. Right. Or because of my operating capability, I'm able to see value uh, in the asset more uh, versus others because my guys go and say, oh, I can improve the generation of this asset or I can get better debt on this versus what the market can get or I can do something which others cannot. So that creates an angle. Hmm. So those kind of deals, uh, you know, uh, hopefully get done uh, when, when they walk through the door. But a lot of our deals, uh, you know, and I don't say just that for us, but globally as well, our deals 
which we have created on our own. Uh, and, and frankly, that's what uh, we get paid for. Uh, uh, I can give you my example. Uh, there was a small 200 megawatts uh, of asset that was that was being shown to everyone, right? Um, we uh, it came to us as well. Um, we actually bought the asset at a 20 or 30 percent lower cost than competition prices. But the reason we got it because we understood the pulse of the seller. The seller was not just looking to sell these assets. He wanted to partner up with someone and who he could then develop more assets for. Uh, and no one was taking him seriously because he's small. What we said is, look, what's the downside? Downside is we buy this asset at our price uh, and he does nothing else, right? Which is fine. We got it at the right price, 20% cheaper than market. But the upside, and this is the scenario, is that if he's able to build uh, even, you know, there's a 200, if he's able to build another 500 only, you know, we would, we'll hear it out of the park, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and he he was, he wanted that credibility of working with someone like a Brookfield, so we leveraged that. He was willing to sell these assets to a discount to us in in lieu of that credibility or, or that opportunity right. to work with someone like this. And that 200 today is 2,000 megawatts. He's actually went gone and delivered 1,800 megawatts for us uh, in that partnership. And no one thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. So so it's it's just that, and that's the creativity or you can call it creative or call it, it all looks like common sense in hindsight. But at that right. time, um, small guy, you know, how do we trust him and all of that? But we figured out that this guy can actually, we, we did our checks for him and, and, and mm -hmm. this guy we can partner with and there's no downside to us. Mm -hmm. Effectively, it was a free option. Hmm. And that that's actually the base on which my platform in India got created. I mean, the, the initial 200 is now 2,000 megawatts of opportunities that we've built together. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've been talking to, you know, some of our uh, batchmates and, and this is especially true even for us, right, where the personal social capital is a big way of establishing that trust. Uh, yes, you know, Brookfield is great. But within Brookfield, yeah, you know, Naval, I associate with XYZ and I'm going to go to Naval for this because I know Naval, you know, stands for these things, right? So in your space, uh, how do you manage to do that, uh, you know? So look, it, I, I, like, it does it definitely, I think, like I said, my, my strength is in my mind, people. Hmm. Um, so that does happen for sure. Hmm. And it happens because you're always listening and you're always looking for that angle. Like, what can I provide to this particular opportunity which others cannot? Uh, it could be speed of transaction, additional, you know, uh, like in this particular case, like the guy, all he wanted was credibility, effectively. Right. That's what he wanted. Mm -hmm. right? so, and when you're able to provide that, that kind of, that, that feedback loop starts and, and then he right. thinks it's me. Mm -hmm. who's actually, actually, it's not me. It, mm -hmm. I have been given this mandate by my firm hmm. uh, to to be creative, to to look at things differently, to provide solutions. Uh, yes, it, it gets associated with me or my team, but but really, I mean, it's first credit to the organization that allows. I know a lot of organizations that don't give you that flexibility to uh, to be creative. Uh, so I would say uh, I could I could uh, I could get myself into thinking that. Uh, uh, I am the reason why a lot of this happens. I am part of the reason, hmm. but a large part of it is the fact, the fact, the mandate that I have from my firm to be able to give differentiated solutions, because that's the space we operate in. Uh, we don't do plain vanilla stuff, which everyone else does, and just cost of capital. 
I mean, you pay the highest price and get the. We don't. We're not in that business. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I do have some credibility, I think, in the market, but uh, it has been built on the back of the institutions that have given me the opportunity to, I guess, express myself or uh, as a team express our collective uh, sort of creativity. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm going to ask you uh, something like a trick question now. So uh, in in two minutes, if you had to, you know, tell me something. Uh, so that about your industry that i can go show off to a complete noob that you know i know how your industry works what would that two minute spiel be about your industry oh man i mean uh, okay <laughs> yeah so i'm not good with trick questions but let me give it a shot uh, so we're in the business of deploying money uh, right we raise these money from pensioners uh, and and an institution that these guys have pensioners have entrusted and our responsibility and the world thinks or those at least those people think that we can deploy their money better than them right uh, so our business is to deploy other people's money better than what they can deploy it at and our business is to deploy it in in assets uh, uh, our business is to deploy that money using our strengths and our strengths are we 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 can operate businesses and our strength is, uh, you know, we can raise money uh, cheaper than others. So we use our strength and our strength to scale. These are three basic things that we have. We use this to deploy other people's money better than they can deploy. And we use these uh, money to deploy it in sectors that we collectively understand as an institution, whether it is renewables or gas pipelines or or infrastructure, uh, uh, it doesn't matter. But it's it's our core areas of expertise we essentially can deploy other people's money better than them using our core rate. That, that's in a nutshell, that, that's all we do day in, day out. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, is that two or one and a half minutes? But <laughs> I think that that qualifies. I can you know use this with my 11 year old and, and say that, yeah, I have great friends who work in it. You know, industries like this. If your 11 year old understands this, you know, you should be, he should be in the job market already. <laughs> Right. So, so you know, another interesting question that that came to mind, uh, Naval, when you were uh, saying this. Um, so, renewables is is your domain right now. So, is there another domain that you wish you were, you know, working in? Uh, to be honest, no. Um, I love what I do, um, mm. um, and it's one is i mean yes it's because it's renewables maybe you know it's interesting it's growing it's actually moving into what's called energy transition now right uh, and in fact we, that's where a lot of my energy is also uh, is also going um, but I, I i love what i do I, I really don't want to do anything else hmm. and what i'm really doing is that i'm deploying capital hmm. uh, and, and i'm being forced every day i'm challenged by my juniors and my seniors and my colleagues and the market to think creatively to do something uh, which others have not done uh, or, or or to create teams and i mean it's very rare to walk into office and every day is a learning experience and i'm not saying this theoretically but literally uh, every deal has its own challenge it has its own pulls pressures um, there is the pain of losing a deal uh, and there, there is the uh, ecstasy or, or or the excitement of of actually seeing it through and then actually it playing out the way because ours is never, we are not transactional. We, when we do a deal, we put money to work and then we have to live with that investment for the next eight, 10 years. 
right. so the whole journey is also you know why would i do anything else uh, it, it's a privilege to have that opportunity and uh, uh, and why it's not just renewables and so i mean i when i joined i, I was actually within 3 months of joining i was said oh the guy who's heading infrastructure squid so by the way you're now heading infra as well and i had to do the gas pipeline a uh, uh, gas pipeline transaction uh, which was uh, big trans 2 billion dollar i don't know the g of gas i still don't mm-hmm. but but we were made, we were able to do it now which other organization gives you that opportunity uh, to suddenly uh, take a 2 billion dollar bet on you uh, and essentially the bet that they took was a the overall team is very good and b right. i am good at managing uh, the stakeholders uh and 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 understand because deal dynamics fundamentally doesn't matter with the renewable or gas or you're selling popcorns or whatever fmcg um it it is really understanding uh, uh, you know who you're working with what is the transaction that you want to get done what is the transaction that he wants to get done and how to get it to convert and and managing people's egos along the way so um and again i mean i digress but uh, it, it's i wouldn't really want to do it. i wouldn't trade this for anything else right right yeah and and how do you deal with um, i know it's it's difficult to you know categorize this uh, especially in your field but how do you deal with success and failure you know how do you actually a consider when do you consider a deal as a success when you sign that or like you said you know there's an 8 year 5 year operating cycle so later when do you say that yeah this was this was something that worked out for us right so i think uh, the biggest one of the bigger uh, sort of uh, uh, flaws in thinking in our businesses to think that you've been successful when you've invested correct that is actually just the start of the journey right uh, building that platform hiring the right people growing it and eventually exiting uh, that's true success so you mm-hmm. have to see a cycle through a 5 to 7 year period so a lot of the time i have to remind myself and my team that once you made an investment yeah go let's go out for a drink let's celebrate but let's not lose focus on the fact that now that we've done this investment we live we have to own it we live with it and we've actually got to grow it so success in in our it's money in money out put 100 in get 300 out you've done your job and do it again and again and again right and they will put pitfall on the way the 100 will become 50 you'll have to all hell will break loose and you'll have to figure out how to get it back up and that's the journey that you every investment is a journey that you go through for us and success is when you've gone through that journey successfully failure is if you've lost money uh, and and failure can be quite expensive uh, in our world but failure is also losing a deal like you know something right. that you worked on 6 months 8 months you figured everything out you've done all the right thing but for some reason you know something doesn't click or or you know in the heat of negotiation something goes wrong and and it all falls apart uh and and that's when actually you know that's when the mind is most at pressure and that's mm-hmm. when you've got to really remind yourself to not take it too seriously uh and and just objectively look at why did it go wrong uh and then make sure that i mean what the worst thing you can do is make the same mistake twice correct uh, and and make sure that you've learned from it and make sure the teams learn from it uh and and then when you look at it afresh or look at something else apply that learning uh and and uh and again we are in a the good thing is we are in a business where uh you know deals will come and deals will go uh, so i think uh, what you have to do is figure out a way to detach yourself both from the success uh, and as well as from the failure because both will keep on i mean at the time that i just this year i've done two 
reasonably decent deal but i lost the big one now and all of that happened literally within a space of one month so you went from that ecstasy to oh shit what the hell happened kind of thing right uh, but you you've got to stay level headed you because you know as a leader you've also got to motivate your team and and, and pick them up as well so to your question on how do you handle success by not giving it too much importance how do you handle failure by not giving it too much importance uh, uh, but at the same time focusing on learning from both because in fact failure teaches you a lot more it teaches you i mean there's a lot more that i learned by not having done that deal versus what i learned from we're learning from a successful deal actually come 3 4 years later depending on how it goes here it's instant right right yeah so this this reminds me of the famous rudyard kipling poem if which is put up the first few lines are put up on the uh, at, at wimbledon right so yeah. if you can handle uh, you know failure and success i think uh, mm-hmm. you know in in the same way we basically treat them both as the imposters that they are i yeah. think that's that's what the line says and look failure is not easy sleepless nights you know my your ear go red you lose appetite all of that happens but you've got to have an anchoring system to just 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 come back to the to the me to the you wallow in your self pity for a few days <laughs> but then come back to the, because the world needs you need to go on and, and and the world will go on irrespective of whether you have or not so right. i think you just you just need to anchor back to the center correct correct yeah yeah so now well outside of work what keeps you busy so i have two kids uh, which are a riot uh ones two and a two and a bit ones just turning one so they happen we will be were busy during covid times i would say um so that keeps me busy and it, it it's very interesting to look at the world from their lens uh, and it's very refreshing as well i mean they say it as i mean the older one says it as it is and the younger one is uh, he just wants to bash up everyone so you know <laughs> he's a delight um i i try and keep fit as much as i can uh, so whether it's playing squash or 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 the gym or or, or a little bit of running uh, uh, i have short attention span so you know i can't do any one thing for too long so i try and do everything so that uh, you know at least it keeps on rotating uh, so i and i read but i i i read very selectively now i i like to read stuff more which helps you know the training of the mind it's uh, you know which i find useful from from that perspective um i I've, i've stopped reading fiction which you know i used to love earlier and it's more around how the mind works and how does the mind think uh, because i think that awareness of the mind uh, is uh, when you can when you can see you know when you're aware of the mind a lot of the situation you can look at very dispassionately uh, because uh, it's not uh, you see things as they are versus getting caught up in the emotion so i try and read stuff which uh, uh, gives me those mental tools i guess a little bit uh, uh, but most importantly you know but what, what i try and do is do nothing whenever i have some time because doing nothing actually is a privilege yeah uh, yeah and and finding those 15 minutes even in a day where you do nothing and just uh, and just observe the mind uh, uh, that's refreshing right right yeah and no cricket no yeah bombay where do you play cricket uh, you know <laughs> either uh, you have to go to shivaji park or something so, so no cricket uh, age is catching up i think on that front <laughs> so 
Yeah. I was always a better footballer than cricketer. Uh, so, uh, yeah, football once in a while, uh, uh, it, the office organizes something. I realizing the 20 plus, or the 20 year old kids or whatever that we have in the form, we have a very young form. They just beat the pants out of me. So, so apart from showing them a few ball tricks, you know, I don't add much value. Uh, so, a bit of squash, a bit of uh, running and yeah, just to keep the metabolism up, I guess now. That, that, that's the aim now. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and uh, are you following uh, anything, you know, uh, seriously, any sport so, or... I still don't watch T20 and I only watch test cricket. Uh, okay. So I will somehow find time to watch test cricket, which is bizarre given how things are, you know, either on my screen on the side uh, or, or something. So still passionately follow test cricket. Um, um, right. Apart from that, yeah, football, but I, I would say test cricket is still something that, you know, I still recall all if you ask me what happened in the 2000 India Australia series, I could probably still recount it. Uh, that's that's <laughs> something that I love. Even one day cricket, I don't follow as much. For me, it's it's right. the grind of the test match, uh, which which is really mm. exciting. Uh, as frustrating it is right. for my wife, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a yeah, test yeah. for everyone. <laughs> Right, nice. So Naval, we'll we'll come to the you know last section, and I'm going to ask you some so-called rapid-fire questions. You can take your time. You don't have to answer in a rapid-fire yeah. uh, mode. So uh, first question is, what advice would you give to the you know Naval Saini of 2002, just before entering MDI? Just before entering MDI. Uh... Nothing actually, it's, it's fine, it's okay. I mean, the only advice I'd give is like, don't be worried about making mistakes. I think uh, uh, that's one thing uh, I would, I mean, if I had to advise someone, it's just, just, you know, it's okay, like, it's fine. If I mean, you learn more from your mistakes, so don't uh, just don't make the same mistake twice. Uh, I, I was always someone who was worried uh, and, and, and operated from a level of fear, I would say, for many years. Uh, I, if I could tell the novel series of 2002 or even before, is to is to train your mind to not operate from a level of fear and and, and be okay with making mistakes. Right. Okay. Uh, what is the one thing from you know our MDI days that you're really thankful or grateful for? It could be a course, it could be a person, it could be you know something that stayed with you. Yeah, I think. Uh, just uh, those um, parts in Mayank Wadwa's room and, and those Friday parties and, and just letting yourself lose. And, 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 and then, look, uh, I, my dad was with the Foreign Service. I never really worked, right. uh, lived in one place for more than two to three years and or never, you know, and when growing up, internet and email wasn't really, you know, they, you, I, 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 I can recount a lot more friends that I lost uh, because just lost in touch. Uh, versus, you know, uh, the friends that I made, and I think to some extent in college and uh, and, and and in MDI, uh, I think those those friendships are uh, few, and I, I I'm still guilty of being quite antisocial. But the few friendships that or bonds that we created then, they still exist, and and that I think is uh, was was phenomenal. And in terms of person, I would say I, I was his horrible student, but I would say that uh, if I could go back and 
listened to every single word that Sanjay Bakshi was uh, was speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I I would would love to do that. I think I realize the value of his course uh, or his teaching, which goes well beyond finance. Many years after leaving MBA, and and I feel that's something I could have. Uh, whatever little I I spent, I enjoyed, but I didn't really appreciate the power of it. Uh, I only appreciate it now. So that's something if I could change, you know, I would love to go back and change. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's been one of my biggest regrets of not having even you know taken his course back then. Uh, though I didn't even go for exchange, uh, <laughs> which you know a lot of other students missed out on because uh, they went on exchange. So yeah. Um, what is your superpower? My superpower. I can, I can over time sell, uh, make an idea uh, as good as the other person's idea. So I can get other people to own my idea, and, and therefore I get them to do it better than I can. <laughs> I, I, I think I've, I've figured that uh, art out somehow. I mean, I, uh, yeah. So I. Doesn't work all the time. Never works with my wife, um, <laughs> but somehow I'm able to pull that through uh, at work and 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 you know in in work situation. Oh, nice, nice. That's that's great. Um, if if you've watched Blackadder, uh, you know you you would have. Uh, I, Adder, I like I love that guy who. Uh, Ron Atkinson, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So his his uh, assistant uh, Baldrick, and there are a lot of these puns and on. You know, double uh, entendre kind of uh, stuff in in that particular show, right? So Baldrick always comes up with a cunning plan, and uh, you know, Blackadder uh, will will first pull put him down, and if there is any way that the idea is going to work, it actually becomes his idea. So it's it's the reverse uh, of what he just said. <laughs> I'm not so sadistic, but all I'll say is that the best, if you can get other people to own your idea, that's the most powerful thing I think. Because then you have multiple minds working on it. Correct. Yeah. 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 The trick in, is in making it, making them feel it's their idea. Yeah. Yeah. And and that that's a big uh, you know big problem that we see in our work, right? I mean, it's it's we call it the not invented here syndrome. That because it is not invented here, you know, I'm not going to uh, invest my energies and time into it because it's come from outside somewhere. Right? Yeah. So that becomes a big challenge. Yeah. That, that's that's a great superpower that I would want to pick up from you. Uh, if if <laughs> if you were to write your own obituary, what would the headline be? Oh, um, the guy who tried. The guy who tried. <laughs> tried. Yeah. All right. Okay. And and the final uh, question, Naval. So since two thousand four, what has changed and what has remained the same? Uh, I think fundamentally, uh, uh, what has changed is uh, my own confidence level. Uh, uh, I was never, and I don't say it from a position of arrogance. I say it more from a position of um, um, just training the mind. Uh, uh, in and I, I spent at least I feel that I have evolved uh, in terms of uh, decision making, in terms of leadership, in terms of uh, you know. Um, Taking risk, uh, not thinking of risk as a bad thing, but it's just a range of outcomes, and um, being able to effectively communicate. I mean, if, if all of us can speak, but effective communication is very different. Uh, being able to listen. So I think all of those things 
uh, have uh, I have evolved, I think, on the with a positive bias, uh, for sure. Um, what hasn't changed? I'm still the same person. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, I, I I still love a drink. Uh, uh, I still crave for you know uh, that evening with friends versus. Uh, going to the club and hearing Dinchak uh, music for like three hours and, and going mad. So, you know, uh, so I think at, at your root, at, at your base, you, I guess I'm pretty much the same person. Uh, I'm just a bit calmer and uh, let's say with age and with white hair, uh, whatever, uh, a little bit wiser and, uh, and I don't take myself too seriously anymore. So I think, <laughs> I think that's changed. On on that note, Navan, I think this was a fantastic uh, conversation. Like I, I said, I got a, a, a ringside uh, view into your world, your work, and uh, a lot of interesting insights that I can you know pick and use in my life, at, in, in my work. I'm going to use the 15 minutes of doing nothing for sure. Uh, that, that's definitely something that I'm going to take up. And uh, I think you know, a couple of sort of you know, themes that uh, repeated themselves through the last one hour was not to take yourself too uh, seriously, the role of luck and serendipity, and also the, the, the scenario building, the modeling. I think that was great. I mean, I, I wish you actually one day just write down, uh, you know, what, what you just uh, spoke about with, with more, you know, uh, concrete examples that people can actually pick up and use, uh, you know, as, as a, a guide for decision making in their lives. So thanks for this. Tell people to come and work for Brookfield. They'll learn it within the first few months. <laughs> <laughs> not me, just the system we're a part of. Right. Again, you're, you're, I, I think you're you know, being too humble there, but uh, I'll, I'll let you, you know, let you be there. <laughs> so yeah. thanks a lot, Naval. Thanks for this. No, thanks so much, Arisha. And look, uh, it was a great conversation and, and best of luck for whatever uh, you know, the, you're doing. And I think you're doing really interesting stuff. And at some point, maybe, you know, uh, what you're doing is probably where, you know, one aspires to be at some point, uh, doing your own thing for yourself. Uh, I think that's a phenomenal outcome. Uh, so, and best of luck with everything that you do. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot.